Awesome. Hey, keep those greeting videos coming. We've had them from all over the place. We've had them from other countries. We've had them from other states and territories. We've even had them from Alice Springs. So we definitely want to be hearing from you guys. So make sure you keep sending them in. Well, we're going to keep our series going this evening. I'm not going to preach for too long because I want to get to the end bit where we just pray together and have a, a great time just waiting on God's presence. And uh, it's a little bit different, isn't it? Because we're doing church online. But the good news is our God is omnipresent. That means he is able to be everywhere at every time and in every place in Jesus' name. And so if you and I haven't met, Ben Tiffy's my name. It's my thrill to be the lead pastor of this church, Desert Life Church, here in Alice Springs in the red centre of Australia, in the heart of the country, and we're having a great time together. We've been starting a new series, actually. We started it this morning in our morning service, and it's called Walking in Peace in Troubled Times. And we noted together, and I noted to the church just how many conversations I've been having as a pastor lately with people who are stressed, anxious, worried, and having their joy stolen, finding their peace interrupted because of COVID-19, uh, economic collapse, job job losses, the, the fear of it, the threat of it, fears for health, fears for loved ones, and all sorts of stuff. And uh, we, we, we're spending some time as a church talking about how do we continue to walk in peace in these troubled times? And this morning, we opened our Bibles at John chapter 16 from verse 33. And we did that noting that it was the end of a lengthy discourse, a lengthy message that Jesus uh, spoke to his disciples before he went to the cross, then before he resurrected, then before he ascended to heaven. And he was preparing them for life after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension. He was preparing them for, hey guys, I'm not going to be physically around anymore. You guys are going to be left behind to be my representatives. And Jesus is going to ascend to heaven where he is today, seated at the right hand of God on the throne in heaven, Lord of the universe, resurrected King and Saviour. And because he did that, we are able to know him and experience him. And in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16, Jesus gives the disciples a chat that we get to listen in on because it also speaks to us today about how we live our lives without Jesus physically now present right next to us, but instead the Holy Spirit with us. And listen to what Jesus said at the end of this message in John chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things, he said, so that in me you may have peace. Everybody say peace. Right where you are now, why don't you say peace? Nudge the person or maybe give a socially distant high five, Wi five to the person near you. Write it in the comments box of the YouTube stream that you're seeing right now. Peace. Peace. He said, I've told you this, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And we noted these two things in our service together this morning in part one of this series. You could go back on YouTube and check it out if you didn't get to be with us today. We noted in part one that Jesus said, you will have trouble, but you may have peace. So trouble's definite, peace is only possible. Trouble is guaranteed. Peace is a possibility that we have to pursue. And we talked about the Greek structure of that language earlier, so I cannot repeat myself. Um, but we note that Jesus has set up his word exists to help us learn how we could take may have peace from the realms of possibility into the realms of the definite. How do I actually have peace? And Jesus said, in me, you might have peace, but in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. So we're talking together as a church over the next few weeks about how do I walk in peace? And we're just letting God's word wash over us a little bit. That's one of the keys, actually. One of the keys is not to live a life that's formulaic, not to live a life that's religious. Well, if I do this, God has to do this. Here's my bargaining chips. I'm putting all my cards on the table. I'm doing the right formulas and the right incantations and I'm saying the right things, doing the right things. Therefore, God has to do something for me. That's actually religion. That's not a relationship with God. 
Any of us in life-giving relationships know relationships are not transactional. I did this, so you must do this. Actually, relationships are a ground for freedom. No one has to do anything in a relationship. Uh, We get to do things. And so we relate to each other. And relating is the most important part of a relationship. And so what we're not doing is we're not having a series where we're thinking about what's the formula I have to do so I can experience some peace. Instead, we're cultivating our walk with God. And one of those things, one of the ways that Christians read scripture is not just as a textbook, even though I love the study, the history, the history, the background, the language. I love the Greek. I love the Hebrew. Oh, you can join our Wednesday night um, Ephesians chat and you'll see we get all into the Greek. We read it in Greek and we explain it. But The thing about being a Christian is when we read God's word, we come like the Genesis 1 world. We come, Genesis 1 says that the earth was formless and void. It was dark. It was chaos. Life couldn't thrive. There was nothing. And it says, but the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep and God said, let there be light. And boom, light was. And what that means is that the word, of, the word of God activates the hovering Holy Spirit, okay? The Word of God activates the work of God. And one of the things you and I should often do is we should sit under God's Word. We should read it. We should open our Bibles. We should get it into our hearts, knowing that what happens is when we put the Word of God over the chaos of our lives, over our darkness, the Holy Spirit activates God's Word and brings light to our darkness, life to our chaos, okay? Order to our shaky old crazy worlds where things are not working. And so one of the things is not to sit around listening to this message, trying to come up with a three-point plan. What do I do? But actually just let God's word wash over you and allow God's Holy Spirit to come and make it real for you. Allow the Holy Spirit to hover over your life. Ah, man, I wish someone explained this to me when I was younger, especially when I first started hanging around listening to the gospel for my first early exposures. What I didn't know is I didn't know that gospel transformation is about the work that God does in me and on me, not about the work that I do. It's not about performing. It's not about jumping through hoops. It's not about learning Christian formulas. It is about a dynamic relationship with a loving, caring God that wants to see peace come to my world. And that's what Jesus is. So Jesus gives us great encouragement, not promises that we'll never have trouble, but actually promises that in the midst of trouble, he will be with us. So we're going to talk tonight just about a further step down this road. How do I walk in peace in troubled times? And I want you to listen to what Jesus says. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, what a great word, take heart. You see this word all the way through the Bible. Sometimes it's translated as cheer up. Sometimes it's translated as don't be sad or something like this. Take heart. Sometimes I think the King James often translates it as have courage or be of good cheer, one of those two uh, possibilities. Take heart. What take heart means is it means to warm up. To warm up. It means to heat up. It means to be warmed up. Actually, in the Greek language, it's the same word that is used when summer, when the hot sun of summer warms up your body and you're about to get sunburned. You know, it's hot and you say, oh man, it's hot. Okay. And the Greeks take this, fra- this phrase, it's hot, the sun's on me. I'm getting heated up. I'm heating up. <laughs> and it became, uh, it became brought into the Greek language as a way of telling people, come on, uh, cheer up. But what it really means is, come on, heat up a little bit. You know, uh, you could think of it this way. Have you ever had a cold reception from somebody? Have you ever had somebody who's treated you coolly? Not that you're cool, 
treated you in a cold fashion, treated you, you know, oh, you know, and they're standoffish and they're not warm. And, and then you meet someone else and you think, man, that person's really warm towards me. That's the difference that this word means, okay? It's the difference of a coldness of heart or a warmth of heart, an enthusiasm, a zeal. You're heated up a little bit versus, oh, I'm just gone cold, okay? And so listen to what this encouraging phrase, often in the Bible, when God appears to people, he says it, be of good cheer. Use it because that's because they're very afraid when God appears to them because, you know, it's like smoke and fire and all sorts of stuff. If you read the Old Testament, other times an angel might appear to someone and they would say, they would say, hey, oh, um, the, you know, people would fall down afraid and the angel would say, be of good cheer. It's the same thing. Warm up. Don't go cold. Don't get cold. Don't freeze over. Warm up. And uh, Jesus says there's something that warms our hearts. There's something that thaws us out. There's something that will radiate on us like a beautiful summer sun when we've been freezing in wintertime. It's pertinent to me because here in Alice Springs, when we get our five degree days or our minus two evenings in wintertime, you forget how hot summer is in Alice. But by the time winter's gone a few weeks in, a few months in, you start longing for summer. And you're like, man, I just can't wait till I'm not shivering all the time. I can't wait till I don't have to wear 10 layers of clothing. I can't wait till I don't need the fireplace stoked anymore or the heater on in my car or my office. I can't wait for some warmth. I want to warm up. And this warm is, warmth is just a pleasant thing when compared to the alternative of freezing over, isn't it? And Jesus says, you know, the troubles of this world, maybe what happens is the troubles of this world, they have a, a, a freezing over effect on your heart. We know that sometimes we go through terror and that freezes us. Oh man, what do I do? <laughs> and Jesus says, hey, take heart, warm up, thaw out, be inspired. I have overcome the world. This word overcome, I want you to think about it. Let's all say it together. Overcome. Excellent. I could hear you in Melbourne and Sydney and the Gold Coast and the UK and the USA and in East Side and in um, West Side, in Larapinta. Good on you. More, uh, I have overcome the world. This word overcome, let's spend a couple of seconds thinking about it. The word overcome is where the brand name Nike gets their uh, name from. Okay. The word Nike, Nike is a Greek word word. But when you're studying the Greek, you don't say Nike. I guess that's the way the Western world has said it because it's easier to say, seems to make more sense. Um, but in the Greek language, you say it as Nike, Nike, N-I-K-E, Nike. And Nike means this, it, it is uh, victory in battle, victory in battle. Okay. And so Nike kind of have taken that as like, that's a really cool idea. Let's make a sports brand name about it. Because why? Because we want victory in the fight of basketball or netball or athletics or sprinting or discus or darts or something like that. Okay. And so it's a great term for a sporting company because it represents victory. Let's win. Let's win. But there's, a, there's an interesting thing about this word, Nike, victory. And here Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome the world. And he uses this word Nike. I have Nike'd the world. I, you know, um, if Nike said, just do it, Jesus went out and just did it. And he did it on the cross for us. And in resurrection life, he's here. And so he's saying to the disciples, listen, I have victory over this world. The things that happen, I transcend them, I am above them, I have victory over them. So listen to what he said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, be of good cheer, be warmed up in your heart by this thought, I have overcome the world. I am victorious. I'm the Nikkei king. I am the king who has conquered. I have won a great battle for you. And what we're supposed to do is sit under the word of Jesus and allow the idea of the gospel to warm our hearts to help us. So it's not just enough to read this. You've kind of got to let it permeate 
You've let, got to let it sink into you. You've got to let it sink into your soul. See, of course, if you do that, you take your focus and you apply it to this, then when you take your focus, you are harnessing that so that your mind will absorb its truth. Then you do this thing. I like to call it marinating in it or percolating in it. I think the Bible calls it meditating. Um, and many other worldviews call it meditation as well. But of course, what happens is what you meditate on shapes your worldview, shapes your emotions, shapes your experience, shapes your thoughts, shapes your capacity to make choices. And Jesus said, hey, take heart. Let your heart be warmed. What by? By my victory. Let your heart be warmed by the fact that I have overcome the world. So now Jesus has told us three things in this passage. He's told us, number one, peace is possible. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Number two, he's told us trouble is definite. Trouble. But then he said, but you can be warmed by my victory. You can meditate on, take heart. Let your heart be warmed by the victory that I have. You know, I mean, I could easily end this sermon right there. If we would think about this week, you know what I could do? I could meditate more on the victory of Jesus. This week, I could meditate more on the victory of the resurrected King who loves me and who is for me. You know, if we did that, we'd experience more peace. If we did that, the victory in Jesus would be something that I experience in my heart and mind as well. In Romans chapter 8, Paul said, hey, nothing can separate us from God's love. And it lists a whole bunch of stuff, famine and fear and persecution and death and demons and angels and heights and depths, all sorts of stuff. Then he says, can anything separate us from the love of God? Then he goes on saying, no, listen, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're not even just conquerors. We're more than conquerors. And it's a great word in the Greek. It's the word that means above conquering. And it's hyper nikeo. Nike, the word for victory, and hyper, the word for mega. It's like saying, in all these things, we are mega victorious. Why? Because of him who loved us. So Paul, I guess as he was writing to Romans, he let his heart be warmed by the victory of Jesus and he understood that life in Jesus is what the Christian life is. It's being, Jesus is my source. He is my bedrock. He is the source of my life. I'm implanted in him. The roots of my life have grown down and entangled in Jesus. And now the roots of my life bring nutrition. They bring nourishment. They bring goodness. And everything that's in Jesus can now flow into my life. Listen, this is not a to-do list. This is a relationship. And if I cultivate a relationship with Jesus, I'm entangling the root systems of my life in Jesus. And then the fruit systems of my life will reflect the nature of Jesus. That's good news for you and I. We just need to sometimes do what we've done tonight, stop and worship. Man, it was awesome. I was in this room. There's barely any of us here because of the distancing rules and who we're allowed to have on site. But our worship team filled this place with worship. Feel that they're not doing a performance for the camera or for the live stream. They were worshiping Jesus. And I was here thinking, man, this is just so good for our souls to just enthusiastically worship Jesus together. We should be doing it at home. I was monitoring the Facebook comments and the YouTube comments and seeing people saying, hey, I'm singing in my lounge room. I've got the volume up. Our kids are here. And, you know, you should be doing that because that's how we cult one of the ways we cultivate a relationship with Jesus. What are we doing? We're sitting in it. We're worshiping. As we worship God, we take our mind, we take our focus, focus is the lens of the mind, we take our focus and we put it on Jesus. And what does a lens do? It magnifies. Whatever I focus it on gets bigger in my perception. So when I worship God, I magnify. So the Bible says, magnify the Lord with me. Let him seem bigger than anything else to me in my mind. And this is something akin to what Jesus is saying. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Let your heart be warmed by meditating on the victory of Jesus. And I think the Apostle Paul 
practiced it. And that's why he could walk in peace in very difficult circumstances. We went through a list of those circumstances this morning in our morning service. All the trouble that you see in the New Testament. All the thlipsis, the Greek word is pressure, squeezing, constriction, difficulty, adversity. And uh, we listed some of Paul's and he, he, he had some peace in that trouble. And he says it in Romans. Why? Because in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We can walk in victory in spite of the trouble that we face. Listen, this is not to make you feel bad. It's not to tell you, hey, you've got to do better so you walk in victory. It's to say, hey, just stop. Stop. Tune out some other voices for a little minute and focus in on Jesus and his victory. Let your soul take on the flavor of it. Listen, I love music, but I know this. Whatever music I marinate in, I am affected by. I'm affected by I love putting on at dinner time Vivaldi. I love Baroque music and I love putting on the Four Seasons at dinner time. And uh, I've always thought my whole life, man, when I listen to that violin music, especially when I combine it with food, I find that a great experience. And did you know that um, they've done neuroscience studies on Baroque music and they've found that your neurons in your brain are connected to brain cells, neurons that grow all the way down to your tummy. And if you listen to certain types of music while you eat, your tummy has a better time digesting because that music has an effect on your neurons. Music can affect you. And so how amazing is it that all the way through Scripture, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, and now thousands of years later as well, we too use music as one of the ways we cultivate a relationship with God. Music affects us. When I was a... You're going to find this hard to believe, but once upon a time, I wasn't the mild-mannered soul you see before you. I used to be a rock drummer in a grunge band. My hair was down to my shoulders. I couldn't grow a beard then, so I didn't have one. <laughs> Still can't grow a beard. And um, the music we played would affect me. We'd play this, you know, garage band, grunge, any old people, children of the 80s and 90s like me. You know what I'm talking about. We were like Nirvana 3.0. And um, I was depressed. I was a drug abuser, I was drinking, I was smoking weed, and that music, that particular type of music, would send me lower. I'd listen to heavy metal with my metalhead friends, I was never into it, but they'd listen to it and they'd all thrash around the place, and I thought, you know what, I really do feel like a fight now after this. The music affected me, I felt more aggressive, it affected me. So listen, we know this truth about ourselves, that some things have an effect on us. So what should we do about that? We should be aware of what the effects are, and then harness the power of that effect okay i'm not trying to tell you go home and listen to vivaldi at dinner although you might like it find my um the rocketeer playlist on spotify i made it i'm there and uh, and you it's got opera it's got great classical music put it on at dinner time you'll be blessed you'll be blessed <laughs> quick free ad but listen i'm not that's not the take home the take home is this so many times when we experience trouble we are robbed of our peace and we're robbed of our peace a lot of the time because the trouble we experience is horrible. It is legitimately difficult. And the only way that would not be difficult is if you were a psychopath with no feelings. And then you wouldn't find it difficult. But of course, a lot of time when something horrible happens, it's legitimate to respond with, oh man, that's horrible. So now what do I do? Do I allow this horrible thing that's stolen my peace, stolen my joy, creating a very difficult situation for me, maybe making me afraid, making me anxious? What do I do? Do I allow it to direct my life? Well, Jesus says, well, one thing you could do is you could join me. You could make sure that instead of getting entangled in your problems, instead of getting entangled more in this world, instead of getting entangled more in yourself, instead of getting entangled more in your coping mechanisms, get entangled more in me. Take heart, warm your heart with this idea. I have overcome the world. 
Jesus says, in me, you will have peace. Where is peace found? Peace is found in Christ when my roots are put down deep in him. Okay. Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. As I join lives with Jesus and put the roots of my life down in him, what is true of Jesus becomes true of me. That's the gift of the gospel. Jesus is righteous, I am unrighteous. I join to him, God now sees me as righteous. Jesus is full of life, I am not full of life. I join to Jesus, I can now experience the abundant life, the John 10, 10 life that Jesus came saying that we could have. So my job is not to do more, be busier, fill up my to-do list. My job is to put down roots in Jesus because what is true of him becomes true of me. Therefore, when he says, I have overcome the world, when my roots are in Jesus, my soul can be warmed and my heart can be stirred with the, 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 with the, the stirrings of the overcomer. Why? Not because I'm good, not because I can win my battles. Sometimes I can't win my battles, but Jesus has overcome them already. So I can join my heart to his. And then in the midst of great trial, great suffering, great adversity, my heart can be stirred with the spirit of the overcomer. And that's the secret you and I have to dwell on, friends, is that we must connect to the overcomer so that we can experience overcoming. And that means that our circumstances may not change at all, but in the midst of those circumstances, we are still able to rise up on wings like eagles. And how is this possible? I'm going to stop preaching pretty soon. How is this possible? It's possible because Jesus made a promise to his disciples. His promise was... I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you on your own to suffer. I'm not going to forget about you. I'm not going to abandon you. Listen to this in John chapter 14. It's still part of the same passage, the upper room discourse. It's still part of the same passage where Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. Okay, okay, wait. So the stuff you're telling us is important. Listen to one of the high points of what Jesus tells them. John chapter 14, verse 15 through to verse 18. If you love me, Keep my commands, okay? What is Jesus saying? If you love me, walk in my way. It's a key to me. It's one of the things I say to myself. Okay, then following Jesus puts me on the pathway to peace. On the Jesus way, that's the peaceful pathway. That's the pathway where I can experience what I need to experience. Live in him. If you're in me, Jesus says, you can have peace. Here he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Live your life in me. Do as I say. Follow me. Be on my path. Listen to my teaching. Apply it to your lives. Okay, listen. If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. Listen, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Oh, what a wonderful promise. Remember, this is a promise from Jesus. I won't leave you as an orphan. An orphan. Imagine being an orphan. Maybe you're listening to this and that's actually your background. And I've known many, many journey, journey with many, many people in life who actually were actually orphaned. Maybe they were adopted. Others were institutionalized. But listen, the, imagine having no provider. Imagine having no protector. Imagine having no paternal figures to look to. Horrible, horrible. So some people never get over that their whole lives. And Jesus takes that horrible situation some people are in and he says, hey, I'm not going to leave you without a provider. I'm not going to leave you without a protector. I'm not going to leave you without connection to your father. I will send the Holy Spirit. I will come to you. What a great passage. Jesus says, I'll ask the father and he'll give you another advocate. And in the NIV that I'm reading, another advocate. Some translations say, and he'll give you another comforter. It's the better translation, actually, the word comforter. 
want you to say it together. Come on, let's all say it. Comforter. Comforter. Say it where you are. I'll ask the Father, he'll give you another comforter. What does this mean, the word comforter? The word comforter, in the Greek language, this was written in the paraclete, you would have heard it said, parakaleo, means to come alongside. Someone you draw on when you go through difficult times, especially when you're in times of grief, you could call someone alongside you and what they would do is they would come and help you. This, this word comforter gets its meaning from a theological high point in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And in Isaiah chapter 40, there's a turning point in the book where God's word to Isaiah is comfort now. Comfort my people, speak tenderly to their hearts, tell them their hard service is over. They've received from the Lord double for all their sins. We talked about that at Easter in our church. It's an amazing passage, this idea of the comforter. Comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And Isaiah is given a message of comfort. And in the Old Testament, the language Isaiah wrote in, the Hebrew, the word comfort is nachum, nachum. And nachum means to come alongside and to sigh deeply. Ever, ever had someone comfort you when you're going through something difficult? They just put their arm around you and they go, they've got no words and sometimes we don't need them, do we? Sometimes we just need someone to love us, to hold us. And Ever had someone hold you when you're crying? Maybe you're a kid or maybe you're a big kid and someone's held you and they've just rocked you and held you and gone, shh, 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 shh. I've had three daughters. Well, I still got three daughters. They're amazing. And uh, they don't cry as much now. <laughs> but when they were young, there was a lot of tears in our house because they're little kids. Of course, you parents know all about that. And uh, I, I just remember most of the time when they were crying, you didn't have to say much. You, you just you hold them. And you hold them and you rock them and you go, shh, 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 I know. Mm, 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 mm. And you sigh with them. <sighs> it's okay, darling. And what happens is it brings comfort to them. I always used to find because, you know, I'm a male, I'm a man, I'm a bit, a bit thick. And I found, especially with my daughters when they were younger and they'd cry over things that I would have thought, oh, that's a bit stupid to cry about. It doesn't really matter that much from my own adult male perspective. But I would find it's not an optimal strategy to turn around these kids and go, oh, stop crying, that's silly. That just makes them cry more. Actually, it deepens grief when you feel like someone doesn't understand your grief, doesn't it? When you're going through a difficult time and you feel like someone's not, not making the effort to put themselves in your shoes, it actually makes what you're going through worse because you feel alienated, isolated, you feel objectified. Now you just feel more weird because they're telling you, oh, you should be over this and it, it compounds your feeling of negativity. But actually when someone gives you empathy, when someone nurtures you in that, when someone holds you in it, that's the term in counselling. In counselling, the term is to be held, to be emotionally held. That when you say, oh, my heart's broken, that someone doesn't go, oh, come on, you should be over it now. They go, wow, yeah, that's horrible. And they sit with you. It's called emotionally holding someone. A great relationship skill, actually, that you can learn. If you're a parent um, or a lover to someone, emotionally holding each other is probably one of the best skills you can ever learn. And the failure to do it actually drives you apart in a relationship. And where do we get this from? Well, we don't just get it from modern psychology. We get it from the Bible because Isaiah is told by God to come alongside Jerusalem and bring them comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. And the word Nahum means to draw alongside, to hold, to sigh deeply. But at the same time, the structure of this language is, has a transformational effect so that it means when you do it, it has a transforming, it has a healing, it has a renovating effect on the person you do it with. And you know that because when someone holds you in your deep negative emotion goes, I know, and they hug you and they hold you tight and they go, shh, and they comfort you, it makes you feel better. It changes you. It does something to you. And God looks at humanity and in the prophet Isaiah, he says, come now bring a word of comfort. And this is what Jesus is thinking of, because this is a crucial idea in the New Testament. When Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will send you another comforter. He uses a word in the Greek for another. If you spoke ancient Greek, you could use the word another a number of different ways. And it's really cool, because we've only got one word for another, another. 
In Greek, there's two words. There's this word, alos, and alos means another one of the same. And there's this other word, heteros, and heteros means one that's different, okay? Heteros, different, alos, the same. And Jesus says, I will send you another comforter. And he uses the word alos. I'll send you another comforter that's the same, another advocate, another one to come alongside you. And you have to ask yourself, what does Jesus think he's saying when he's talking about the Holy Spirit this way as the comforter and as another comforter? And you have to understand that in the book of Isaiah, in that chapter, chapter 40, there are three people, there are three voices, three voices addressed. Isaiah said, said, said um, raise your voice, bring comfort to my people. And there are supposed to be three waves of comfort. Obviously, Isaiah himself is the first wave. God has told him to bring a word. Then the world waits for 700 years until Jesus comes, and he comes as the great comforter, the one who drew alongside. That's why Jesus said, him and the Holy Spirit are the same. I'll send you another comforter the same. And even Jesus, what he's thinking is that he's walking around planet Earth, healing wounds, bringing God's presence, doing good, bringing justice, setting people free from darkness. What's he doing? In his words, he's comforting the oppressed. That's what he said in Luke chapter four. He's bringing good news to the poor. He's opening the eyes of the blind. What's he doing? He's bringing comfort. Jesus, God in the form of Jesus has come alongside the human race to comfort us in that pain, to comfort comfort us in our sin, to comfort us in our darkness. He has come to draw alongside us in God. That's why he ate food. That's why he spoke a language. That's why he walked around instead of floating around. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm getting enthusiastic about this. Sorry if I'm yelling too much. In Philippians chapter 2, it's called the kenosis passage. Kenosis is the Greek word that means emptying. And he says, Paul says to the Philippians, let the mind which was in Jesus be also in you. He counted um, equality with God, not something to be grafted, grasped after, but he made himself nothing. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And what Paul is saying there, he's celebrating that Jesus, this is what happened with Jesus. God in human form drew alongside humanity, put his arm around us and embraced us to heal us. Jesus came as the comforter Isaiah prophesied about. Isaiah brought a word of comfort. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the word, as the great comforter. And then when he's about to ascend to heaven, he says to his disciples, I won't leave you as orphans. I won't leave you without someone. I'll ask God. He'll send you another one the same as me. But now he will be everywhere. The Holy Spirit will come. And he says, I will ask him. He will send you another comforter, another one the same as me, an alos comforter. Now, here's what you need to know. This is my last Greek lesson for the night. <laughs> Turn to the person next and say, good, shut up. To me, not to them. When Jesus chose this word comforter for the Holy Spirit, he chose the word paraclete, parakletos, to come alongside. And why did Jesus choose that word? Jesus could have said anything he wanted. Why that one? Because 70 years before Jesus walked the face of the earth, the Jewish rabbis took the Hebrew scriptures and no one could read Hebrew anymore, so what did they do? They took the Hebrew scriptures and they interpreted them into Greek. And what's so great about that for us is that means that for every Hebrew word in the Old Testament, there's now a Greek word we know. And the New Testament, which was written in Greek, we can now see what that word means by transferring its history back to how it was interpreted in the Old Testament. That's going to blow your mind, isn't it? And when Isaiah's word, comfort, comfort my people, was translated into Greek, it was translated into this phrase, parakaleo, parakaleo, draw near and comfort my people. And we know that the word parakaleo, paraklete, paraklesis, it's got lots of ways, like in English words, you can put an I-N-G, an apostrophe, an S, an E-S, or whatever. <laughs> you can change language. And we know that this group of paraklete words, parakletos words, we know that that is the Greek translation of the passage from Isaiah. 
the comforter who will come alongside and hold us and sigh, come alongside and breathe deeply and bring us comfort. And we know Jesus came as that comforter. And then Jesus said, I am going to heaven. I am going to be on the throne. You won't see me for long, he says to them. But I won't leave you as orphans. I'll ask the Father. And he'll send you another comforter just like me. He'll send you someone else to come along, someone else to hold you, someone else to sigh, someone else to bear you up. Think about the blending of these terms. Jesus says, you can have peace in me. Follow my teaching and I'll ask the Father. Walk in my way. Get into me. Plant your life in me. You can enjoin me in overcoming. I said it another way. I won't leave you as an orphan. The Father can send you the comforter so we can know the great comforter. So if you didn't learn any Greek or Hebrew tonight, we don't mind. But I wonder if as we finish together, I wonder if you would join me in saying, Jesus, I want my life to be in you. Even if you're a Jesus follower, you know, sometimes we, we focus on so many other things or even the cares of this world or jobs or stress, family stress, financial pressures, whatever it is. And even us, we can get a little bit distracted from remembering the basics of the Christian life. I'm on the pathway of Jesus, which is the pathway of peace. He said, I am the way, I'm in his way. I'm on his way. He said, if you're in me, you can know peace. Well, Jesus, I want my life in you. Wouldn't it be great to finish together as we just recenter our lives with some prayer saying, okay, I'm in you, Jesus. I'm on your way. I'm following your teaching. I'm living the Jesus way. And would you please do what you said and ask the Father and send the Comforter into my life. And for a second, I want us to sit together right now, wherever you are. I want us to sit together in the wonderful, comforting power of the Holy Spirit. I want us to sit together in the great presence of the Comforter. I want us to sit here and just absorb. I want you to... Take God at his word and say, Jesus, I want to live my life in you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to send the comforter now, the other comforter, the one the same as you, the Holy Spirit to come, the spirit of truth to come and hold me in. Just for a second, let's believe right now, wherever you're listening to this under the sound of my voice, that the Holy Spirit's with you right now. This is what God does whenever God's word goes forth. The Holy Spirit hovers over that word and takes it and makes something out of it. That's what Genesis 1 is. And right now, wherever you are, I know the Holy Spirit's in this place. Holy Spirit's in your place. The Holy Spirit is with you right now and the Holy Spirit's available. Just stop for a second. Become aware. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you right now that under the sound of my voice, wherever someone's listening to this, that the atmosphere of their life, they are becoming aware of the presence of the comforter that you are enveloping people right now, Father, in the name of Jesus that you are surrounding people's lives. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name for the great presence of the comforter to come, the advocate from the Father. You said you would not leave us as orphans, but you would ask the Father and he would send another comforter. So right now, Father, I pray every person under the sound of my voice, in Jesus' name, let them know the descent of the protector. Let them know the descent of the provider. Let them know your comfort with them right there, warming their hearts, cheering their hearts, giving them hope. Now joining them to the victory of Jesus, joining them to the comfort of Jesus. Jesus. Father, people under the sound of my voice who've been in, in pain, in turmoil, in ambiguity, in anxiety, in depression. Father, people who are sick, people who are feeling alone and isolated, people who are afraid of the future. Let them know right now the presence of your spirit that comes and comes alongside and says, I'm, I am here with you. I am here with you. Father, would you hold people in this moment right now in Jesus' name? Come on, family of God, why don't we just yield right now to the presence of Jesus? 
Yield right now to the goodness of God. Yield right now to the great comforter. For 20 years, I've been walking with Jesus and on a day-by-day basis, the ability to yield to the presence of the comforter has healed my soul of brokenness. It has healed me from addictions. It has helped me learn to live a different way instead of being dependent on all these other comfort-seeking behaviors. And I want you to know tonight, he's with you. I hope that after we finish here together, you fill your heart and fill your mind with the presence of the great king of the universe. Take heart. He says, you can have peace in me and I've overcome the world. And my friend, I want you to take this message in your heart and just begin to say, thank you, Lord, for the presence of the comforter. Begin to cultivate his presence. Begin to talk to Jesus right now where you are. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're moving in our lives. Thank you. You're helping me bear up inside. You're helping me tap into the overcomer's spirit. I think we can finish this evening with a song. Is that all right? Are we allowed to do that?